Oh, it's okay. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 to 16. And the, the theme is divorce and remarriage. Sky in our throat. And then next week, God willing, I'll be preaching on uh, rebuilding a marriage, especially after sexual sin and you, you decide not to get divorced, uh, how to rebuild such a marriage. All right, but for tonight then, divorce and remarriage from 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 16. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, when we come to the throne of grace, it is in utter dependence. Our lives are in your hands. Without you, we cannot do anything in you. We live and move and have our being. You give to all mankind life and breath and everything. You do not live in temples made by human hands as if you needed anything. Lord, and since our lives are in your hands, we want to live it to the glory and honor of your name. You are our Creator and you are our Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. Please give us a heart to understand what we read and to, to have a mind that can discern truth from error, right from wrong, light from darkness, and that we would be able to see, is this teaching really in the Bible? And if so, help us to obey, Lord. And if not, then help us to discern and to eat the meat and spit out the bones. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, after the previous sermon on divorce and remarriage from Matthew 19, when I preached on divorce between believers, someone called me and said, can I, actually sent a message and said, tell me when I can call you, I want to talk to you. And the person said, all right, I listened to that sermon, and thank you very much, but I have a question. What about this scenario? And then they painted a, sketched a scenario and said, uh, I'm not going to give you all the detail because it's beside the point. But they sketched a scenario and said, all right, the wife wants to get divorced from, uh, of her husband. She wants a divorce. But this is the, the situation. Is, is she biblically allowed to divorce her husband? Now, I can preach 20 sermons on divorce and I won't be able to cover every scenario. There are so many scenarios when it comes to divorce and remarriage. It's impossible to say, let me do a sermon on every one of them. Because there are so many cases uh, worldwide and throughout history. But what the Bible does do is it gives us basic principles. Beginsels. To say, here's a principle and you can apply these principles in different situations. So first of all, we can, I'm just going to refresh your, your memory from Paul's teaching here on divorce, between, divorce and remarriage between believers, verse 10 and 11. And I think, yeah, it's on the screen. To the married I give this charge or this command, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled for soon reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So, in the past three weeks, I thought, and Philip's not going to feel so good because uh, I'm using him in illustrations this morning and this afternoon. So, a few weeks ago, when Philip and Nicole also, my, my daughter Nicole, they spoke to me after different sermons and said, all right, you said this in the sermon uh, what about this? And they mentioned something else, and I thought that's a good point. So what they did is they were, they were good Bible students, because that's what you see in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, where Paul is preaching, and the Jews, they're sitting listening to Paul, and then it's not saying, oh, Paul is the pastor. Everything he says is true. He's a missionary. He knows everything. No, what they did is they searched the Scriptures. They studied the, the Word, the Bible, to see what Paul is saying, does it match? 
And that's what you and I should do when we hear the preaching of the word. Don't just say, oh, I've studied theology and he's the pastor, so it must be right. No, that's how you get caught by false teachers, is by just slurping it up. And we don't know if the English is slurp. Just by drinking it all in and, and not thinking clearly and matching it and measuring it against the Bible. So, what's my point? My point is, tonight's teaching on divorce and remarriage, it's a very hard teaching. It's difficult teaching. It's not easy to hear. It, it's very easy to hear if you've never been in a situation like that. But as soon as it comes home, one of your family members gets divorced, or you yourself have been divorced, you, you got a divorce, and now you're wondering about remarriage, then it's hard. So what I want you to do tonight is check me. Check me. While I'm explaining the verses, keep your Bible open or check on the screen and say, is it in the verse? And if it's in the verse, then you must obey it. If it's not in the verse, then you should ignore it, and then you should come to me afterward and say, listen, you said that, but that's not in the verse. And then I should fix that and tell the people that is wrong teaching. All right, so Paul starts in verse 10. And he's talking now to uh, married believers. These are Christians he's writing to in verse 10. To the married. Remember the Corinthians, it's a Christian church. To the married, I give this charge or this command, not I, but the Lord. And what's the command? The wife should not separate from her husband. Or the end of verse 11, the husband should not divorce his wife. Now when Paul says in verse 10, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. Paul is saying, Jesus has given teaching on this already. Jesus taught on this in Matthew 19 and in Matthew chapter 5 and then in Mark and Luke, that just parallel passages. But Jesus has given us teaching on this, what should happen. And Paul uses two Greek words. So please bear with me with some technical detail tonight, technicalities. This is important. Uh, we'll get to the application. But Paul uses two Greek words for divorce here. The one is in verse 10. He says, the wife shouldn't separate in the Greek. I'm going to explain that. And then in verse 11, at the end, the husband shouldn't divorce. So separate, divorce, afiemi. Two different Greek words he uses here. Now, some people say, oh, what Paul is doing is he's distinguishing between separation and divorce. So a husband and wife, for instance, um, they're not divorced, but they're not living in the same house because their marriage is... Uh, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's a difficult marriage. Or they they not divorced. They live in the same house, but they don't sit at the same table. They don't have meals together. They don't sleep in the same bed. I, re I remember hearing a sermon many years back. Uh, was this in 2009 or 10? Someone gave me this sermon, and the pastor was preaching on divorce and remarriage, and he preached this passage. And that pastor said, you know, sometimes a marriage is so difficult that you may separate from your husband or wife. So you can live in another house or you don't sleep in the same bed and you know that's hard. So that God allows that, but you may not get divorced. I don't agree with that, Pastor. And I don't agree with that, with uh, distinguishing between separation and divorce here. Why? I think when Paul says in verse 10, the wife shouldn't separate, he means don't get divorced. He's using separate. In other words, you're separating, you're breaking the marriage. Why do I think so? Look at verse 11. But if she does, she should remain not separated, unmarried. That woman's not married anymore. She got a, a, an official divorce. And Jesus, that's choritzua. And Jesus uses that same word choritzua, which is translated separate here in Matthew 19, verse 6. What God has joined together, speaking of a husband and wife, let not man separate. That's talking about divorce. Jesus is not saying if God has joined you together, uh, don't, you should have meals together. Obviously you should if, you, if you're not at work. But, but Jesus is talking about divorce. So my conclusion then, not the conclusion of the sermon, unfortunately. <laughs> My conclusion then, if you are separated, separated just by, oh, we're not living in the same house, but we're not officially divorced, that is as unbiblical 
And that is the so untulatbar in onskriftelik. That is as unbiblical as official divorce. I'm not saying it is the official official divorce. If you move out and you don't get one, uh, get an official divorce. You just moved out and you're not having meals together, um, not living in a proper married relationship. But that is unbiblical. You are not allowed to do that. You can't say, oh, the Bible says I may separate, I may not divorce. No, you must not separate either. How do you, how do you solve problems over WhatsApp? How do you solve marriage issues? Uh, just, oh, let's give you a call. You know, I can just see that WhatsApp, send the wife a voice note. You know, I am, I'm angry. And she just puts it on 1.5 speed or double speed, <laughs> the WhatsApp voice note. She's, yeah, blah, 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 whatever. You're not going to sort issues, sort out issues if you separate it. That's separated in, in the sense people use it today. That is unbiblical. You need to be in the same house, talk through the issues, discuss the issues, work out the issues, and not get divorced. As verse 10 says, the wife should not separate from her husband. Okay, now a question. So you are sitting in Corinth in, in southern Greece, in the first century, and you, in a morning service, and one of the elders walks up, and he says, uh, we've got a letter from the Apostle Paul, I want to read it to you. And the elder reads those words, the wife should not separate from her husband, and verse 11 at the end, the husband shouldn't divorce his wife. And you sitting there saying, oh, I've already gotten divorced, what now? Well, verse 11 tells you what now. Paul says in verse 11, but if she does separate from her husband, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. You may only get divorced as a Christian to another Christian if there was sexual sin. Matthew 19 verse 9 that I preached on two weeks ago where Jesus gives that teaching. And another reason you may get divorced is in verse 15. We're going to get to that just now. If you're married to an unbeliever, a non-Christian, you're a Christian, your husband is not a Christian, or your wife's not a Christian, and the unbeliever wants out and says, I don't want to be married to a Christian, I'm leaving. Uh, and then you should accept that as a second reason for divorce. If you get divorced for any other reason and then remarry, you are committing adultery, Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 12. So, what then should you do? If you, you are divorced and it's not for a biblical reason, what should you do? Well, verse 11 tells you what to do. Remain unmarried with the intention of, I want to be reconciled. I want to work this out and want to sort out the issues and remarry my ex-spouse. And there are some times where you can't do that. And I'm going to give many examples this evening. All right. Uh, another question then, what if you already gotten divorced for wrong reasons and then you've already gotten remarried for wrong reasons, unbiblical reasons, in other words, you've committed adultery, what do you do then? That was actually the question the lady asked me on the phone this week. Well, what do you do in such a case? Well, in such a case, you don't get divorced a second time. Don't say, oh no. I got divorced for wrong reasons. I got remarried for wrong reasons. Let me get divorced again. Don't get divorced again. All right? Go to the Lord and say, Lord, your word didn't give me permission to remarry. And I have remarried, but I ask your forgiveness. And you accept God's forgiveness. And then you make the best of your second marriage. Or if it's a third, uh, I hope not. But I know this is a fallen and broken world. But you make the best of your new marriage. And you work on that and work hard on that to have a good and godly marriage. Uh, that's like David. So David committed adultery. He slept with another man's wife. He got the man killed. And then he married this woman. And what should David have done now? Should he now divorce this woman? No. He confessed his sin and said, Lord, forgive me. I sinned. And God forgave him. And then make the best of that marriage. Don't get divorced uh, another, a second time, a third time. Okay, second, so that is just a refresher, a divorce, between, divorce and remarriage between believers. Now, second, divorce and remarriage between believers and unbelievers. So, he is now getrouwd met a ongeloofig hier, 
what do you do now? Many, many years ago, um, more than 20 years ago, I had a CD of a gospel band, a gospel music group, and one of the songs they sang, they sang about the red letters. Not the red brieven, but the red letters. The red letters. What are the red letters? It's the words of Jesus. In many English Bibles, you see the words of Jesus are written in red. So they sang of the red letters and said, there's life in the red letters, there's peace in the red letters, there's hope in the red letters. Now that is not wrong. If you mean, uh, well, obviously the teachings of Jesus are wonderful, but if you mean that the red letters in your Bible have more authority than the black letters in your Bible, that is not true. Because the black letters, in other words, the teachings of Jesus have more, more authority than the books written by the Apostle Paul or by Peter or by Matthew. That's not true. Why? It's not true because the letters of Paul are the words of Jesus. Actually, the whole Bible is the word of Jesus. Jesus is the word. The word became flesh. Jesus is the word who became a man. And so the Old Testament, it's the words of Jesus. The whole New Testament, the words of Jesus. So you find that Paul, for instance, saying in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, he says, I say to you by a command from the Lord, or in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, I say by a command from the Lord, or in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, you accepted my teaching. The words we spoke to you, you accepted it not as the words of men, but for that which it really is, the word of God. So Paul says, my teaching is the word of God. Jesus even said to the apostles that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you and lead you into all the truth. And the words the Holy Spirit is going to teach you, he tells the apostles. He doesn't, he doesn't just speak words. He takes my words and he gives it to you. And you write them down. All right, why do I say that? What's all of this got to do with the topic tonight? The topic at hand. I'll look at verse 12. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Now, you know what some people say when they see that? Some people think, oh, verse 10, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Verse 12, in other words, hey, verse 10 and 11 is really important. Did you listen? You can doze off now because we're only coming to verse 12 to 16. Paul says, not the Lord, but I say this. That's only Paul's words. It's his opinion. You can sleep, Amelia. Have a nap. You're tired. You look tired. Paul is not saying verse 10 and 11 is inspired. That's the teaching of Jesus. Verse 12, this is not really inspired. It's not the word of God. It's my opinion. Oh, look at verse 40, at the end. I think that I too have the spirit of God. What I'm writing here is the word of God. All right, so what does Paul mean when he says in verse 10, the Lord says this, not me. And in verse 12, I say this, not the Lord. What does he mean? What he means is in verse 10 and 11, I'm quoting Jesus now. Jesus has already given teaching on what happens when two believers are married and they want to get divorced. Jesus never said anything about what if you marry to an unbeliever? What then? I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm the apostle, actually apostle of the Hayden. And I'm going to now give you teaching what does happen in a situation because this happens all the church, all the time. Where I'm a missionary, says Paul. I, I, I'm in this situation where two people are not Christians. I share the gospel. Only the husband gets saved. Or only the wife becomes a Christian. And the other one, the other party is not saved. So what now? Should you get divorced? Okay, so that's, that's what Paul means in this passage. So here's, here's the Christian. You become a Christian now. And now the Christian says, ooh, I'm a Christian now, my husband's not. That makes me impure. I'm spiritually impure now because I'm married to an unbeliever. What must I do? Paul says, no, no, here's the teaching, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents, say Stemon, to live with him, he should not divorce her. If a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Now, Paul is not saying, hey, do you want to get married? 
I can introduce you to a nice girl. She's not a Christian. Paul is not saying marry non-Christians. He says in verse 39, you can marry whom you want to marry, but only in the Lord. You can only marry another Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, by van julle kende. Moenie aan een ongelijke juk trek met een ongeloofige nie. Nee, 2 Corinthians 6. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So he's not saying, oh, you can get married to unbeliever. But if you become a Christian, if you get saved after your wedding, so it's now five years later, you've been married for five years, you and your, your spouse, you and your husband, you and your wife, um, not one of you is a Christian, now one gets saved. This is what you now do, Paul tells us here. So if, if the unbelieving wife or the unbelieving husband, verse 12 and 13 says, Yes, I'm, I'm happy to be married to a Christian. Don't get divorced. You're not impure because you're married to an unbeliever. You're not spiritually unclean. So don't get divorced. Now, actually, the Greek word here, it means that the unbeliever heartily says, hartlik, in, uh, met enthusiasme, enthusiastically, with enthusiasm, they say, yes, of course I'll be married to you, even though you're a Christian. So that's the kind of situation you sometimes find where there's a wife, she hasn't got a Christian husband, but he doesn't mind at all that she comes to church, that she brings the kids, he, he even comes with her sometimes, or the other way around, the, the wife is a, the husband's a Christian, the wife not, but she doesn't mind, she doesn't mind that he reads the Bible, that he spends time in prayer, that's fine, no problem. And so that kind of person says, Yes, I'll, I'll live happily and at peace with a, with a Christian in one house. And that's what you find in verse 12 where it says, if she consents to live with him, verse 13, if he consents to live with her. I work consent, but to live with, the Greek word literally means we'll stay in one house. And I'm fine being married to a Christian. All right, so why must you not divorce such an unbeliever? If that unbeliever says, I'll be married to a Christian, why mustn't you divorce that unbeliever? Verse 14 tells you why. For, here's the reason why. The unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So it's not saying, oh, you know why you shouldn't marry your unbelieving husband? Because he's holy. He's a Christian. It's not saying he's a Christian. He's still an unbelieving husband. And verse 16 says he must be saved. So it's not saying he's saved. The word holy means? Separate. So in other words, what it's saying is there's a non-Christian husband or non-Christian wife. God is putting that unbeliever aside. He's separating that unbeliever to say, I'm putting you in a very special situation where you're married to a Christian. And you, have now, you now have an opportunity to be saved by the, through the influence of that Christian. And that's for the very same reason why the children of that marriage, they're not unclean, they're not unholy. Children born of a marriage, even between a, a Christian and an unbeliever, they're not unholy. Again, they are holy, not meaning they're saved. Remember the word holy here means set apart. So it's not saying, oh, baptize your babies. Uh, because if you want to use that argument, you want to say, oh, the children are holy, we should baptize them. Well, then you should baptize your non-Christian husband, because he's also holy. <laughs> it's not saying that. It's just saying they are set apart, they're living in, in gospel sunshine, they're growing in gospel rain and gospel soil, and they have an opportunity to hear the gospel and to be saved. Like we uh, read in, in Peter, but I'll refer to that probably later on. Uh, but you, you find an example of this in the book of Acts. Again and again you see he and his whole family believed. He and his whole family was saved. The whole family gets saved. My family was like that. So my dad was not a Christian and my mom was. And then later on my dad got saved and then as the years went by all four of us my brother and two sisters and myself, all of us got saved because of a situation like this. Verse 14. If you get divorced in a situation like this, the non-Christian wants to be married to you still. 
If you get divorced in a situation like this, you are putting yourself in a difficult position and you are misusing the opportunity and throwing away the opportunity of influencing that husband or that wife for the Lord and influencing those children for the Lord. So don't get divorced, Paul says. Okay, now the question comes, and I expected it would come, and Paul expected it would come. So then the next question then, but what if my wife is not a Christian or my husband and they want to get divorced? Well, then verse 15 happens. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, that means the Christian, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Okay, now verse 15, when he says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. That word, let it be so in the Greek, is an imperative. That means it's a command. God is commanding you. You must accept the divorce. You may not say, I'm not accepting the divorce. I refuse to sign the papers. I'm going to fight for this marriage. I'm going to fight this divorce. You may not do so. Paul says, let it be. If the unbeliever wants to go and says, I don't want to be married to a Christian, then you must accept that. I know of a situation where a lady, she refused to sign the divorce papers. She was a Christian. Her husband was not. Her husband was unfaithful to her again and again and again, sexually unfaithful even. And she refused to sign the papers. She said, I'm not getting divorced. I'm not signing those papers. It went on for more than 20 years. She wouldn't sign. I don't know if it has changed since. The last time I saw her was, must have been in 2008 or just before 2008. You know, if you refuse to sign divorce papers in a case like that, you are putting everyone in a difficult situation, not only yourself. You're putting everyone in a difficult situation because here's the unbeliever and you don't want to sign those papers. And the unbeliever, what does he want? I'm going to use he now. It can be she also. What does the unbeliever want? He wants the privileges of marriage, but he doesn't want the responsibilities of marriage. So that unbeliever can come back and say, you know, I'm back. And why is he back? Well, you know, I want my wife and I need her sometimes. And then he comes back and what do the kids do? Well, Jay Adams, a Christian counselor, a biblical counselor, he says what the kids do is they're all excited. Daddy's back, daddy's back. And then daddy leaves, ups and leaves again two weeks later. And it's just an unstable situation and you're giving false hope and false sense of peace to the children. And there's never peace in such a marriage and in such a home. And you're wasting lots and lots of uh, money and time in a divorce court. Even though you don't want to get divorced, the case just drags on. Now, I don't know what, what, um, what the law says about that kind of thing uh, today, but if you're not going to accept the divorce, you're causing trouble for, for yourself and everyone around you. And you're disobedient to verse 15. Not only does verse 15 say, if the unbelieving partner wants to separate, let it be so, accept it, allow it. You must accept that. Not only that, but look at the end of verse 15. God has called you to peace. God wants you to be at peace, not this war all the time and fighting all the time. And this, you weet, it's asof het net nooit eindig nie. Sky, die sky kry net nooit klaar nie. Not that we, we desire people to get divorced or say it's a wonderful thing. We're not saying that. But I'm just saying what verse 15 is saying. Accept it. If the unbelieving partner doesn't want to be married to a Christian. Okay, now for many, many questions, and I'm not going to cover all, every scenario possible. You're going to, you might, and you may come to me afterward and say, but what about this scenario? Then we can talk. Okay, so here's some scenarios. What if, what if the unbeliever doesn't want to be married, but doesn't want to get an official divorce either? So they just move out of the house. I don't want to live with you, but they never get divorce papers. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, the, unbelieving has, the unbeliever has deserted the marriage. The unbeliever has deserted the marriage, and I don't think it's sinful in a case like that to, you can finish off the paperwork. What if the unbeliever doesn't want to get divorced, verse 15, but doesn't want to do verse 12 and 13 either? They don't want to live at peace. They're fighting all the time. What do you do then? Well, if the fighting is verbal, it's fighting with you and saying nasty things to you and so on. If the fighting is verbal, don't get divorced. Give the situation to the Lord, like Jesus did in, in 1 Peter 2, where it says he didn't insult, he didn't return insult for insult. He just 
kept on giving it to the Father. So you give it to God who judges justly, you give it to Him. You find yourself a Christian support system where you can have fellow Christians around you that pray with you, that encourage you, that hold you accountable, and so on. And then you endure that suffering. It's not easy. It's not easy, but you endure that, and you try and win your wife or your husband to the Lord by your patient endurance and your gentle responses, like we find in 1 Peter chapter 3, where it speaks of a, a wife who has a husband, he's not a Christian, and how she can win him to the Lord. But if your husband beats you, if your husband threatens you, I'm going to kill you, then you go to the police. And you don't feel sorry for him, and you don't say, no, I'm going to withdraw the case. You go to the police, you make a case against him, and, uh, and then leave it in the Lord's hands. And even if, even if your husband or wife, the, the non-believer, doesn't want an official divorce, or that husband's beating you up and threatening you, he has already deserted the marriage. Even though he hasn't gone to a lawyer to say, I'm going to a lawyer, I'm getting divorced. He hasn't done that, but he's beating you up. He's threatening you with death. He has deserted the marriage. He has disobeyed verse 15. He doesn't want to be married to a Christian, even though he hasn't said it in those words. And then I think it's grounds for verse 15, you may get divorced. He, for practical purposes, he's deserted the marriage. He's not doing verse 12 and 13, saying, I'll be married to a Christian and I'm happy with that. And that also goes when the unbeliever commits murder. Uh, so let's say he is the unbeliever, he murders someone, he murders a second person, or she commits murder. Well, in that case, they deserve the death penalty. Now, our, our country doesn't apply the death penalty, but it's biblical. So deserves the death penalty, and he's going to jail. And so again, practically, he has or she has deserted the marriage. And so again, I think it's verse 15, it's grounds for divorce. What if your husband or your wife drinks a lot? Maybe even an alcoholic. What do you do in a case like that? Well, if there's food in the house, so it's not like they're drinking so much, there's never food to eat. Uh, there's food to eat, and when your husband gets drunk or your wife is drunk, they don't beat you up. They don't... Then I would say, don't get divorced. Um, find help and keep on praying but don't get divorced if it's a case where your husband is, gets drunk and he beats you up well then the previous scenario applies or there's no food to eat there's never food to eat he's drinking so much there's no food in the house well then he's deserted the marriage that's a verse 15 kind of case. That unbeliever, he hasn't said it. He hasn't gone to a lawyer to get a divorce. He's deserted the marriage. What if your husband or your wife has been sexually unfaithful? Well, then, two weeks ago, two weeks back sermon, Matthew 19, verse 9, uh, that applies where it says, let me just read it to you. Otherwise, you weren't, some of you weren't here two weeks ago. And you're wondering, what's this Matthew 19, verse 9? Uh, Jesus says... I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So if you, if you get divorced and marry another when there was sexual immorality, you're not committing adultery. If you get divorced for any other reason and remarry, you are committing adultery. Okay, so you get that. What if your husband or your wife for many months and even years withholds sex from you? Say, so you're not getting it. Hmm. If they're withholding sex from you and it goes on for years, maybe they're getting it somewhere else. And if that is the case, if that is really so, not just in your mind, if that's really so, then, then Matthew 19 verse 9 applies that I just read to you. So there's grounds for divorce, but you must be sure of your facts. You can't just think it might be that way. You must be sure, and then obviously get help also. Another question, how does verse 15 apply? Let's say your wife divorces you. She wants to get a divorce. She's leaving, but she's a Christian. 
This is, not a, this is not verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates. This is a Christian saying, I'm getting divorced. Well, what's the reason? We're not compatible anymore. What? No, I don't love you anymore. I'm getting divorced. That's an unbiblical reason for getting divorced. But what do you do now? Because it's not verse 15. It's not a, it's not a, a non-Christian saying. This is a Christian saying this. This is what you do. And that's why I had Ruth re- read uh, Matthew 18 tonight early in the service, about church discipline. So what you do is you follow the steps of church discipline in Matthew 18. First, you talk to the wife or the husband, um, and if they won't listen, then you get a witness, another Christian, you talk to them. If they won't listen, then the elders bring it before the church and say, listen, uh, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so wants to get divorced, and they have no biblical grounds for this. And if they won't listen, then you tell it to the church. Well, you've already told it to the church. Then you remove them from the church. You remove them as members of the church, and you consider them as unbelievers. Okay, Gentiles and tax collectors. You, you, you can, now, you hope in the process that they will repent and the marriage will be restored, and you can maybe give them counseling, the couple, and help them to rebuild that marriage on, on biblical terms and biblical teachings. But if they won't repent and you remove them as members of the church, then you consider them as unbelievers. Just you hear a little And if they consider it as unbelievers, then it's verse 15. The unbelieving partner has separated. And then it's grounds for divorce. What if... We've got all these scenarios. I hope they're helping. And they're helpful. What if, what if you get divorced for unbiblical reasons... And after your divorce, your ex-wife dies. May you get remarried. Yes, because death breaks the marriage bond. It severs the marriage bond, Romans 7, verse 1 to 3. Then you may get remarried to a Christian, as verse 39 um, talks of remarrying a Christian. Okay, what what if your husband's an unbeliever or your wife, and they get divorced... And after they get divorced, here's the unbeliever separated, and now that unbeliever gets saved. What now? I think verse 11. I think it will honor God if you reconcile and get remarried, and this time in the Lord. Just don't, don't just say, now we'll just live together. Don't just live together. Get remarried. Make it official. Get remarried in the Lord. Now, you listen to all these examples, and you can probably give many more and say, what about this, what about that, and we can, we can go back and forth. But let me stop there and say, you, you listen to all these examples, and you say, you're stretching it. You're stretching this because verse 15 doesn't say that. Verse 15 just says, if the unbeliever says, I'm not, I don't want to be married to a Christian, then you must accept it, and that's grounds for divorce. You're giving all these other examples that aren't even in the text. Okay, let me respond by saying, I think the examples I gave are valid, and they are right. Why? Look at verse 15 again. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so, in such cases, plural, cases, Paul is saying, what Paul's saying here, here's a principle. You can apply this in many such cases. So you take the principle and after much prayer and talking to your elders and talking to mature mature Christians and saying, here's the situation. Uh, What do we do? What does the Bible say about this? Because in the abundance of counselors is safety. And if you like, so you ask mature Christians for counsel and you pray about it and then you make your decision. Now, if if the unbeliever walks out of this marriage and say, I'm not being married, I don't want to be married to a Christian. That Christian is no longer bound. You're no longer a slave. Literally, the Greek says, you're no longer a slave, meaning a slave to that relationship. Verse 15 again. In such cases, middle of the verse, the brother, meaning the Christian, or the sister, a lady a Christian, The brother or sister is not enslaved. You're not bound to that marriage anymore. That marriage bond has been broken. That marriage has ended. And in such a case, it is not wrong for you to get remarried. Let me read verse 27 and 28. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Are you bound to a wife 
do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? What is free from a wife? Het is nie verloof nie. Het is nie, ek en net een meisie nie. Kijk weer na die vers, vers 27. Are you bound to a wife? Wat is dit? Ja, trouw, of die, die bybelse type verloving. Nee. So jy is vast aan die vrij gaan met haar trouw, of jy is met haar getrouwd. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Wat is dit? Sky, moet nie wil sky nie. Are you free from a wife? Wat is dit? Jy is gesky. Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. En natuurlijk, hy het gekwalificeer vroeger, in wat een gevallen kan jy trouw, er trouw en nie. Wat een gevallen kan jy sky en nie. So, dit is nie sonde nie. Ok, now, if you do decide, if you got biblical grounds for divorce, and you divorced on, on, biblical, on biblical grounds, and you've got biblical grounds then to remarry, please remember the following principles. First principle, forgive your ex-wife. Forgive your ex-husband. Don't carry grudges in your heart. Don't carry bitterness in your heart because that's just going to steal the joy in your next marriage. Okay. Second principle, don't get married just because you want someone. Making hasty, deci- hasty decisions, hasty decisions are often wrong decisions. Nee, Proverbs 19 verse 2, he who makes haste with his feet, as jy haastig met jou voete is, oh, ek het voorbij gehaard loop. You miss your way. He who makes haste with his feet misses his way. So p- pray about the matter. Be, be slow in this process of thinking, all right, going to get remarried. Pray about it. Ask wise Christians for counsel, their input. Third principle, you should not wonder. If, is this person a Christian? I've seen this. So here's someone who's divorced. He meets someone or she meets someone and I say, oh, you've met someone and you had biblical grounds for divorce. Is this person a Christian? Uh, I'm not sure. You shouldn't say that. You should be absolutely sure. If you say, I'm not sure, we haven't really talked about Jesus much. You have a problem. So you must be absolutely certain. Yes, this is a Christian. Do you know how I know this? Because I can see it in her life. She bears the fruit and I can see... I can see in his life, and I can hear it from his testimony when he told me how he got saved, and I can hear that he or she has a biblical understanding of the gospel. Fourth principle, do not, oh, just back on the third principle, you may not marry a non-Christian. That's why you must, must make sure it's a Christian. Verse 39 says that. You can marry whom you want to marry, but only in the Lord. Fourth principle, don't get married to someone who has been who is divorced on unbiblical grounds. As jy met iemand trouw wat op onbibelse, vir onbibelse redes geskui is, pleeg jy echt breek. Die bybel sê dit, Luke 16 verse 18, you marry that person, you're committing adultery. So don't, don't do that. Fifth principle, ask a committed Christian friend and say, can you and I just talk through my first marriage and the problems we had there? Yes, my wife left me. Yes, my wife said I'm not, I don't want to be married to a Christian. But can we just work through the issues? Because I didn't always keep my cool. I lost my temper at times. I said some things I shouldn't have said. Um, so you're not, you're not totally guiltless. So work through those issues. Where were you wrong? Where can you improve? Where can you change in your new marriage? And then work on those issues. Because you don't want to carry over the issues in, of your first marriage and just carry it over into your second marriage. And you've got the same problems. Uh, principle number six is work through a good book on marriage. Maybe with a friend or maybe just on your own study it, look up the verses. I would, I would suggest a good book is What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp. So that's a book you can maybe start off with. Principle number seven is remain pure. Don't say, oh, no, we can sleep together. I know we're not married yet. But, you know, I've been married before. I know what it's like. And uh, it's fine. Listen, we're adults. We're not kids anymore. Don't treat us like children. A woman actually said that to my friend, Yanni Fosler. So Yanni Fosler, they had a church camp. And a guy and his girl came to the camp. And they're older people. Oh, can we just share a room? And Yanni said, no, you can't share a room. Why not? We're not kids. We're adults. And why should we 
be treated as kids. And Yanni just said, uh, what was all precise word? And then Yanni said, yes, and the Bible wasn't written for kids either. <laughs> so no, you're not sharing a bungalow or a chalet. And then principle, what's that, number eight, is talk to your children. So if there are kids, talk to the kids and talk to your new spouse or your husband-to-be or your wife-to-be. And say, right, what about the kids? So what are they going to call you, Danny or Ma? Or they're going to call you uncle or dad? And then, then what about discipline? So am I going to give your children the hiding if they're naughty? Or <laughs> that can cause big reactions and big problems in marriages, uh, mixed marriages. And then the last principle here is uh, talk about finances. That's very important because if you get married to that guy, and he's got 250,000 rand. He's 250,000 rand into debt. It's skilt. And you get married and you say, I didn't know you had debt. And then all your salary just, you see it come. <laughs> just get all your money. So you have to work through those issues. The, the sermon I preached on uh, finances in marriage. Maybe read through that again, work through the verses, and talk through those verses. You have to ask yourself, are you willing to carry that load? Because this guy's in t- he's got a lot of debt, or this lady's got a lot of debt. Why? Because, verse 15 at the end, God has called you to peace. God doesn't want you to live in tension all the time and fighting all the time. He wants you to be at peace. Now, maybe you're sitting here this evening, um, and I don't know of anyone like that, or you're watching the sermon online, or listening to the, re- the audio recording. And you're the troublemaker. You're the non-Christian causing trouble for the Christian and making life difficult and making the marriage difficult. I I married you and now now you're following Jesus. Now why don't you drink with me anymore? Why don't you get drunk with me anymore? And why don't you swear with me? Why don't you listen to dirty jokes and laugh at my jokes anymore? And you're going to church every Sunday and you're reading the Bible and I'm tired of this. And this is fighting, and you're the troublemaker. You're causing trouble for your wife, trouble for your husband. You don't want to come with me on Sundays. We always used to do fun stuff on Sundays. Now you're off to church every Sunday. I know of two cases like that, where both, both the cases, the wives got saved, and the husbands used those arguments. Why are you not drinking with us anymore? You're reading your Bible. And the reason, if you're like that, the reason you're acting like that toward your wife or your husband, the reason why you don't have peace with your wife or your husband is because you don't have peace with God. God is angry with you. God is angry at you. And why is God angry at you? Because God has given you life. God has given you your life and you use your breath against God. You use your breath to please yourself. You use your life to sin against God. You don't honor God. And so God is going to make life very hard for you, just like you've been making it for your Christian spouse. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? It can change. God can change that. So what God wants you to do is He wants you to repent. Repent means turning away from your sin, changing your mind about sin, changing your mind about yourself, not thinking you Mr. Special or Mrs. Special. But thinking, I'm a sinner in the sight of a holy God. I deserve the judgment of God. And I have no hope. I have no hope to escape this judgment. And then God holds out the hope and says, there is hope for you. It is in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for sinners, who took the punishment, who bore the punishment for their sins on the cross. Jesus has been, was buried and he rose on the third day. He's alive. And if you trust in my son, he will give his life in you eternal life, and then through the Lord Jesus, you can have peace with God. And if you have peace with God, then you can have peace in your marriage. Peace with your husband, peace with your Christian wife. You can serve the Lord together. together. As verse 15 at the end says, God has called you to peace. So the only reason you get divorced 
from an unbeliever is in verse 15, first part happens, if the unbelieving partner separates. Now someone might say, but won't it be better if I fight more for my marriage? I don't want to lose this. I'm going to fight for my marriage with it to this unbeliever. Only if the unbeliever wants to be married. Verse 12 and 13, if the unbeliever doesn't want to be married, accept the divorce. Yes, but, but if I accept the divorce, then I won't be able to win my husband to the Lord. I won't be able to win my wife to the Lord. Verse 16 answers that. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Are you going to stay in this boxing ring of, of a difficult marriage till kingdom come? I want to be married to an unbeliever. He doesn't want to, but I want to. God has called you to peace. Verse 15. You don't know if you're going to maybe save your husband, maybe save your wife. You don't know. So do what verse 15 says. Accept the divorce. He wants you to live at peace. So let me end with this illustration. I have a story like this. I know a guy, and I know him quite well. His wife left him. And he's a Christian. And so he got home. And when he got home, oh, the furniture's gone. He was surprised. The furniture's gone, and it was a, it was a case of verse 15. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the detail, because then you'll try and figure out who it is. Um, but simply, this person didn't use these words, but it boiled down to exactly that. I'll, I'll just change it, maybe, to say, the wife said, the reason why I'm getting divorced, I don't want to be married to a missionary. It was a case like that. And so the wife left the man, and it was very painful, but he did verse 15. He accepted the divorce, and about two years later, he got married to a lovely Christian lady, and it's been 16 years later now, and they very happily married. Let's pray. Our Father... We, we confess to you that theory is, in some way, it's quite easy. It's quite easy just to read the verses and, and say things, but practice is hard. And I know some of our brothers and sisters, they've been through all of this, and I do pray that you would comfort them, those who've been rejected, and there have been biblical grounds for divorce, and some of them who've been confused and didn't have right teaching, and maybe they're sorry for the decisions they made, or they're in a difficult position even now. And I pray for your grace for them, even people listening to the sermon later on online, that you would give them much grace, and to see there is hope and peace and joy in Jesus, even in the midst of pain. You can ease their wounds and heal their wounds. And for those who have been wrong, who have mistreated their Christian spouses, oh, I pray even that you would have mercy on them and save them. Please hear this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.